Well, hey there, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you to week three of our Building Blocks series, which is just a journey of conversation around the principles to make the most of life. Uh, building blocks, because with the right building blocks, we can actually go where God wants us to go and become who he wants us to be. It's kind of like in the world of construction. There are basic building blocks that allow us to build long-standing structures with great strength and stability. We use building blocks like CMUs, concrete masonry units, cinder blocks, to do that. And in a very similar way, there are building blocks that we can use to establish lasting stability in life. And we're unpacking what those are with an understanding that we all start somewhere. So I want to welcome all of you across our network, our Bettendorf family, the men in Kiwani, each of you tuning in online, and the Rock Island family here. We are in this conversation intentionally pursuing God's greater purposes. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love the Heritage family. I love my church. I love chasing the things of God with the Heritage family. And, and we realize we're not perfect, but we're willing to do anything and everything God asks. <laughs> and if you're a guest with us, I'm glad you're here. Because the building block conversation that we're having allows us to live into all that God has for us. In fact, I want to take a moment to just review some of the conversation we've had so far. And if you want to see all the detail, you can go to heritageqc.com. But let's just do a quick review, and you can use the blank space in your note guide to write what I'm writing up here. We started a conversation by looking specifically at spiritual intensity. Spiritual intensity is spiritual vitality. It's the intimacy we have with God, and it is the foundation, or at least should be the foundation of our lives. And its primary expression is prayer. But another expression of spiritual intensity is faithful risk. Faithful risk is being willing to step with God outside of our comfort, to be willing to step with God beyond our control, beyond self-reliance, into a place of dependence where we risk beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. And his cover is his purpose and plan and priority and his power. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk, and faithful risk leads to divine provision. But in that journey, we're seeking to risk yet remain under his cover. And today we're going to see how spiritual intensity and faithful risk connect to passionate mission. Passionate mission. Now, there's actually five building blocks that we're working through in our series. It's spiritual intensity, it's faithful risk, it's passionate mission. But then it's also, we're going to get to the point where we're talking about authentic love and hopeful partnership. We'll get to those two over the next couple weeks. But today, we're leaning into the concept of passionate mission. And as we do that, I want to just invite you to think with me for a moment. Just to reflect in your own life. So you all have ups and downs. We have good times and bad times. We have joys and sorrows. We, we all have those components. They, they may be at different levels and different circumstances and different seasons of life, but we all have ups and downs. And the downs often become the rubble of our lives. They are the broken relationships. They're missed chances, uh, even lost opportunities. The, the rubble. In my life, some of the rubble is just around the pain of, of rejection or pain of regret, even betrayal, be, being lied to or lied about. That, that's some of the rubble in my life. But I wonder what or where the rubble is in your life. Is it around regret, shame, failure, maybe abuse? 
Maybe you've made some mistakes in life or you've made some poor choices. See, we all have rubble. And it can put our heart in trouble if we don't understand what to do with it. If we don't know how to build from it. But that's what we're talking about in the Building Blocks series. Because we all start somewhere. And we can sit in the rubble or we can rise from it. In fact, one of the greatest victories in life is to build a future reality out of present rubble. Instead of choosing to sit in it, we can rise from it. And those who rise from the rubble embrace passionate mission. The, the ability to step into passionate mission allows us to rise. See, no matter where you are starting in life, and we all start somewhere, spiritual intensity, the thing that is that undergirding reality for all of these building blocks, is actually birthed in brokenness. And the good news is that God is the one who brings beauty from brokenness, beauty from ashes. We just need to understand how that all works. And spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk, and faithful risk leads to divine provision. But if we're going to start where we are, that often means building a future reality out of present rubble. And that requires passionate mission. In fact, that's the first fill-in if you're tracking along in your note guide today. That building a future reality out of present rubble requires passionate mission. It requires a commitment. It requires a sacrifice. It requires perseverance. It also requires surrender. It requires a yielding to the Lord and a level of dependence because there is a natural and a supernatural dynamic to this. It's, it's spiritual intensity and faithful risk leading to passionate mission. See, here's the thing. Passion and mission are not uncommon. They're very common. But passionate mission that is uncommon. It's not abnormal, it's, it's just not as common. And for our purposes, as we lean into the conversation today, I want to invite you to think about passionate mission as pursuing divine purpose in divine power. To pursue divine purpose in divine power, and you can write that down somewhere if you want to, but we're talking about pursuing God's purpose in God's power. Because here's the thing, faithful risk is an activator. Passionate mission is a context. It's the where and, and leads into the why behind the what. And the how is spiritual intensity. See, in our conversation about all five building blocks, we're actually looking at this out of the book of Nehemiah because we see all five realities in the life of Nehemiah. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love to invite you to grab it and click or turn to the Old Testament to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 because that's where we're going to be picking up the story. We have seen Nehemiah serving as a cupbearer to the king in Persia, but because he had the discipline to lean into spiritual intensity and the courage to step into faithful risk, he is now on a trajectory to live into passionate mission. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. The walls have been down for 150 years plus, and, and the people of God were facing anxiety and fear and attack and a vulnerability. They, they had a limited identity in that condition. But Nehemiah is coming into that situation with authority and, and with resources and even with protection provided by the king of Persia himself. 
So he's about to take a three-month, 800-mile journey, and that's where we're starting in our conversation today. So this is in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. You can follow along in your note guide on the screen or in your own Bible. I'm going to read it here from my Bible. Chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, again, three months, 800 miles. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Let me just hold there for a second. We don't really know who the others were, but based on what he's saying, it kind of feels to me like it would have been members of the cavalry that the king sent with him as protection. For two reasons. One, it would have been really weird to grab some people he hadn't explained anything to and go on this really weird night walk outside outside the city. The second is the specific mention that there were no other mounts but the one he was riding on. We don't really know for sure. But he goes on to say in verse 13, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Now let me just hold there for a second because Nehemiah's arrival into Jerusalem would have been no small thing. It would have been quite the moment for both Nehemiah and the Jews. Because the reality is he's finally entering into a place and seeing a place where his, that his heart had been broken for, that he cared about. And he's getting to see the temple that would have been rebuilt in that space. But at the same time, here are the people of Jerusalem seeing this Jewish man arriving with, a, with Persian cavalry and, and Persian lumber from the king's forest. It would have prompted all kinds of questions. It's almost like the, the fanfare of Aladdin arriving to the palace after the genie gave him all the stuff. It's just like, wow, what's really going on? And he explains nothing <laughs> for three days. Now, we don't know if he was resting, if, if he was listening, assessing, praying. Probably all four of those things, but we don't have a full explanation of what he was doing in those first three days. But what we do know is that he then next heads out on this night recon. And and something to understand about what he's doing is he's he's not just sightseeing, he's assessing. The, The word that's used in verses 13 and 15 is the word examine, which is a medical term that that literally means probing a wound to see the extent of its damage. And what Nehemiah does is he doesn't actually go around the entire city. He leaves from a southwestern gate, heads south along the bottom of the city perimeter, moves east, and then moves north until he couldn't get through with his horse. And then he continued on up and around into the valley. And then he goes back down and around in the same gate. He doesn't do the whole perimeter. He just does the southern section. Now, some scholars believe that's because every time that Jerusalem had been attacked in the past, it was always from the north. And they speculate that there was really nothing to survey up there because it had always been attacked. But there were still some things to look at in the rubble in the south. Either way, again, he is not just sightseeing. He is in an intentional process of examining the damage. He's in an intentional process to see really what he had been called to invest in. And for the very first time, he is seeing this place, this space, that seven months ago the Lord had broken his heart for. He is seeing the rubble that God had called him to rebuild from. And specifically, the people and the place of his passionate mission. 
And that's important because passionate mission connects a purpose to a people and a place. Passionate mission connects a people and a place to a purpose. See, we don't just simply exist to survive. God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. But the purpose and plan don't just happen. It involves spiritual intensity, faithful risk, and the pursuit of passionate mission. And passionate mission always includes a people and a place. It connects purpose to a people and a place. And it's not just a task. It has a temporal dynamic, but it is also eternal. There's a divine component to passionate mission, pursuing the purposes of God and the power of God. There's natural and there's supernatural. When it comes to taking that faithful risk and staying under his cover, those things can be big or small. They can be public or private. They can be repeated or just done once. But they always connect to a why, to a where. They connect to passionate mission because passionate mission connects what is to what can be. It's not blind. It actually is eyes wide open to the realities of rubble. And Nehemiah's reconnaissance was giving him the proper perspective to understand the reality of the rubble he was facing in his passionate mission. And throughout all of Scripture, anytime God brings a purpose to bear into the life of one of his children, it always leads to good work. It always leads to a greater ripple. And passionate mission is rooted more into a deep sense of responsibility than it even is rooted in a need. It's a responsibility connected to a purpose, which means we start where we are and out of devotion, out of commitment, out of dedication, even out of affection, we build from there. You know, one of the realities of my journey to the Quad Cities and to the Heritage family and in my family altogether, was, was the element of both people and place connecting to a purpose. As we journeyed in the process of trying to discern, was God leading me and my family here, my wife Beth and our two boys along in that journey, very specifically I prayed that God would give us a passion for the people and the place as confirmation. He did that in me very early on in the journey, and my prayer was extended to, to Beth and the boys, and he did that for all four of us, a, a clear, true passion for the people and the place. And there's a reality behind that, that that their purpose connects to a people and a place. And Nehemiah, in his journey, he would encounter a lot of rubble. He already had, and he would experience some more rubble in his journey. But, but that purpose, the, the passionate mission would allow him to, to persevere in that. That clear purpose would give him the ability to persevere through the rubble and into his divine purpose. Because passionate mission connects a purpose to a people and a place. Let's, let's look at what happens next in the narrative. This is into verse 16 of chapter 2. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Now in the end, nearly everybody would be involved in the work. So he had basically talked to no one about what he was purposed to do. Then I said to them, so the them would be the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the others. He said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. Now, one of the realities about leaders is that they declare the reality 
of what is, but then point a path forward to what can be. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He goes on to say, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. That was the passionate mission. God's purpose in God's power. He goes on to reveal that even further in verse 18. I also uh, told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So he's making it really clear. Look, this is not about me. It is, it is not coming out of my strength. It's a divine thing. It has a purpose bigger than us. And, and, and he's making sure that people understood that, that it was God, not him. And then they replied, and this is significant, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now, that's significant because more, for more than 150 years, the walls could not be rebuilt. They had tried a couple times. They were unsuccessful. And, and, and most people probably got to the point where they thought it wasn't even possible. Yet in this moment, understanding the purpose of God and the power of God at work in it, they lean into the divine work, the good work that they were called to. Even though, here's the thing, prior to exile, the people of God had identity. They, they had a king, they had an army, they had language, but exile pushed all of that aside. And the city of Jerusalem was the capital of the, of the kingdom in Judah, the southern kingdom. And the history of the Israelites can be tracked all the way back to Abraham. And the city of Jerusalem is central to nearly all of it. It was a significant moment with significant ripple and history. But this wasn't really about brick and mortar or necessarily ultimately about the city. This was about removing the rubble of shame and the rubble of fear and the rubble of poverty and insecurity. The work of moving brick and mortar would all be worth it because it would have a greater ripple into individual lives and community dynamics. It was not just about brick and mortar. Because passionate mission connects a purpose to a people and a place. And since God is the restorer of broken things, the redeemer of rubble, if you would, there is always hope in passionate mission, pursuing his purpose in his power, regardless of the rubble. I want you to jump with me to the New Testament for a moment because there's this really impactful passage in Romans chapter 8 says this, and we know that in all things, all things, what things? All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his what? His purpose. This is a great verse, man. I love it. We love it. Many, many have it memorized. Many of us have, have used it to be encouraged in the midst of the rubble that we deal with. It, it's powerful truth. But do you realize there are two prerequisites in it? For, for God to work good out of all things, there are two prerequisites. Love of him and investment in his purpose. Love of him and his purpose. Because his purpose connects people and place. His purpose in his power. Now it's really important to understand that there are three driving realities that, that influence passionate mission. And I want to hit them briefly. Just, just three things that shape our ability to live in to passionate mission. First is God's purpose. It's God's purpose. It's his plan. It's his priority. This is the only thing God gives his power for. His purpose. It's essential in living into passionate mission. 
The second thing is God's timing. His timing, not ours. God, God's power prevails in present circumstance in his timing. You got to think, the walls have been down for more than 150 years. Nehemiah prays for four months to be able to have the conversation with the king. And he waits in Jerusalem for three days. God's timing is a driving factor to the reality of passionate mission, which is sometimes and often difficult for us on both ends of the spectrum, when we have to wait and when he pushes us faster than we want. In both spaces, it drives us to dependence. And our ability to live in that tension is, is birthed out of spiritual intensity, willingness to take faithful risk with a focus on the passionate mission he gives us. It's in his timing, his purpose and his timing. And in that timing, often it's, it's him working out the details because God will work in us before he works through us when he seeks to do significant things through his people. So it's purpose and it's timing, but then it's also his power. God's power. Look, it is by him, not us. He seeks to work through us, but it is his power at work within us. Whether we're seeking to break a habit in our personal lives or we're seeking to rebuild a city, it is by his power at work in us, not us. His purpose his timing, his power. It's a bit of a why, when, and how. But there's a really important distinction to understand in these realities. None of this guarantees a problem-free journey. It's true for us, and it was true for Nehemiah. Let's take a look and jump back into Scripture. This is now into verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Sambalot the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Now you have to understand, this is a false accusation. Ne Nehemiah had the blessing of the king. The king gave him resources and cavalry and authority to go and do this. Now, I don't know if they were saying it out of ignorance or malice. But it doesn't really matter. Because Nehemiah goes on to answer them. Either way it was, he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah answers the accusation out of a true understanding of God's purpose, God's timing, and God's power. And that begins to make all the difference. But let me pause for a moment so we can take a few moments to understand who these knuckleheads are because <laughs> we're going to see them again. The first time we see them is actually verse 10 of chapter 2 when they hear about Nehemiah's intent and they're, they're frustrated and bothered by that so they, they make their opinion known. But now they're kind of upping the game and they're seeking to disrupt the progress that, that Nehemiah is making in this journey. And it's good to pause to understand who they are and, and why they're messing with this. You see, we learn a few more details about these guys in chapter 13. Specifically, Sanballat. Man, this guy was connected to priestly families by marriage. And there's even an, a, another document, ancient document, that seems to indicate that perhaps he was the governor of Samaria. So he had some connection and relationship with the people of Jerusalem. But then we look at Tobiah, and Tobiah is a Jewish name. And it literally means Yahweh is good, which is kind of ironic. 
But he was a man of influence associated with the high priest's family. In fact, again, in chapter 13, we find out that the high priest's family was supplying him with resources and provision. He's, he's connected into the dynamic. But here, listen, here's the irony for me. These guys were either Jews or connected relationally to Jews. And you would think that they would respond with support rather than opposition. And because they did, because of who they were, it was probably a bit harder to swallow because it came from within. A brother. Plus the dude Geshem. <laughs> and the tactics that they're using now will actually get more devious as they continue in the journey. So why is this important? Why is it included? Why am I even pausing to talk about this? Because I think it illuminates an incredibly important reality. That God-honoring investments always face opposition. God-honoring investments always face opposition. They face what? Opposition. They, they face resistance. Whether, whether the investment is big or small, whether it's public or private, whether you're trying to attain a new level of fitness or break a personal habit. Listen, spiritual battle exists in opposition to anything of God. Anything of God. Spiritual intensity, faithful risk, passionate mission, it faces opposition. There is no guarantee of a problem-free journey, even as we live in obedience. Most often, when we engage in spiritual intensity, faithful risk, and passionate mission, it brings with it drama. It brings with it attacks. It brings with it traps and, and false accusations. Nehemiah had that. He experienced rubble in his journey, and he experienced more rubble, but it's not just the rubble of the Jerusalem walls. Listen to some of the things that, that Nehemiah ends up facing in his entire journey from those he was interacting with. He faced ridicule, anger, discouragement, fear, internal conflict, apathy, fatigue, false accusation, traps, and lying prophets. Opposition. And God-honoring investments always face opposition. And it plays out in the flesh. But hear me, it is ultimately a spiritual dynamic. It's a spiritual battle. And many of us underestimate or, or, or don't take into consideration the opposition that comes from chasing anything that is a godly investment, of stepping in obedience in anything that he wants us to do. And when we don't take that into consideration, then discouragement and defeat settle in when we hit the opposition, and then we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to give up and move on. But God-honoring investments always face opposition. And if we're going to persevere through that opposition, we need to understand that reality. But then we need to want it. We need to want to persevere through it. We need to be willing to stick with it. We need to be willing to wait for God's purpose and timing and power. Stick with it in the complexity of the opposition. Persevere through it in his power to realize what he's calling us to. And the ability to do that is ultimately fueled in love. Love for him and love for others. And that'll lead us into the next building block we're going to look at next week of authentic love. But let me take a moment today and move us into an early so what. What do we do with the conversation? What, what do we do out of what we understand Nehemiah did and how he lived? Well, he allows us in, in just what we've read today, the ability to see that building a future reality out of present rubble requires passionate mission. It requires focus and commitment and courage and discipline. 
because we all start somewhere. Whether you're chasing a New Year's resolution or a career move, or whether you're looking at some kind of family issue or trying to step into greater levels of health personally and fitness goals or, or relationships with others or, or just stepping into the next level of spirituality with God. When we're willing to let God move in the rubble of our lives, the broken relationships, the hopes and dreams that have been burned to ashes, when we're willing to let God work and move in those spaces of rubble, well, then we see things that we thought once were impossible actually made new, actually transformed. But in order to do that, we need to understand two key realities, and they're the next two fill-ins in, in your note guide if you're still tracking with that. The first is that purpose must be more important than position. Our purpose must be more important than our position. Whether we have a position that is good or one that is bad, whether we have a position of strength or weakness, whether it's a position of great resources or limited resources, our purpose, our divine purpose needs to be more important than the position that we hold so that we're willing to risk it. We're willing to forfeit the comfort that we have. If we're not willing to do that, if we don't, we will end up fighting to preserve what is at the expense of what can be, what could be. That's exactly what Sanballat and Tobiah were doing, and Geshem. They didn't want to forfeit and lose position, so they wouldn't allow purpose, divine purpose, to prevail. But Nehemiah considered the purpose more important than his position. He risked his position in Persia. He left that position in Persia to lean into the passionate mission that God had called him. And whether we're talking about position of excess or scarcity, it is both, there's tensions on both ends. The scarcity reality, the Jews, they were poor, they were facing vulnerability and weakness, but they didn't let that override the purpose, didn't let that shut down their willingness to risk into the purpose. They let purpose be more important than the position that they sat in, because they, they, they faced a literal and figurative rubble in their lives. But they willingly stepped into a place where purpose and passionate mission was more important. And that makes all the difference. And one of the great realities about what we're talking about, it, just like spiritual intensity and faithful risk, passionate mission, our ability to live into that is rooted in God's strength, not ours. It's rooted in his power, not ours. And we can see it realized in our lives if we'll submit and live according to his purpose. Yeah, we, we can chase some things in life. We can try to rebuild some walls in life, but it'll never be true success in our lives if we aren't doing it in his power for his purpose, because he only gives his power for his purpose, for passionate mission. And if you're building a kingdom that is your kingdom instead of his, you will end up struggling in the rubble of life and most likely living in irrelevance instead of a great purpose. Because purpose must be more important than position. The second reality for passionate mission is that identity and purpose overcome opposition. Identity and purpose overcome opposition. Passionate mission will always face harsh, malicious, personal opposition, often from those less passionate or those who doubt, both inside and outside your community dynamic. 
But when that happens, Nehemiah reminds us that we are to look to and focus on who we are and what God has called us to do, our identity and our purpose. That's exactly what he did when he responded to those guys and the accusations they made. Identity and purpose. Identity and purpose overcome opposition. For me, in some of the rubble of my life and around regret or around betrayal or just the brokenness that I suffer in loss in my life, more than once that stuff has pushed me to the point of wanting to quit. Quit jobs, quit relationships, quit risking with people, quit being willing to trust again. But remembering my identity and purpose always recalibrated me out of that drama, out of that pain. Because identity combined with purpose is the key to persevering in opposition. Identity and purpose are more important than position. And when we live that way, we prevail against opposition. Confidence in our identity and our purpose, it's key. It's key to whatever you face today in opposition or resistance to what God is actually calling you to live into. If you're facing that, focus on who you are and whose you are. You are loved by God. You are created by God for great purpose. But the rubble of our lives can cloud that stuff and cause us to question. But identity and purpose overcome opposition. Nehemiah, he would face down significant opposition in his journey as he pursued a great and awesome mission, his passionate mission. We will face opposition as we step in obedience in our personal lives and even as a church. But hear me, don't mistake opposition as God's disfavor. It rarely is. Don't mistake opposition as God's disfavor as you step in obedience. God has very different tools to redirect a yielded and purified people. When when we're seeking to do his will, he has different tools than opposition when we actually are submitted to him. Opposition is a tool of the enemy. Don't mistake opposition as God's disfavor. It rarely is. Identity and purpose overcome opposition. So let me, though, leave you with a question. A question for you to process today and even through the course of this week. Where does God want to build something new from a place of rubble in your life? Where does God want to build something new from a place of rubble in your life? See, we all start somewhere, and most of us start in a heap of rubble. The key is not to stay there. So where does God want to build something new from a place of rubble in your life, from your present rubble into a future reality? Nehemiah was pursuing not a human priority, but a divine one. And, And we, like he, start somewhere. Just don't make the mistake of staying there. Regardless of the rubble or opposition that you face, what is the relationship? What is the shame? What is the regret? What's the broken down thing, the rubble of your life that God wants to build something new out of. Whatever it is, be willing to pursue his purpose in his power, passionate mission, by taking faithful risk out of spiritual intensity. The moment we're willing to do that, God begins to do things we thought were impossible. The walls of Jerusalem were down for more than 150 years. But after Nehemiah begins the process of rebuilding, it's 52 days later that they're rebuilt. When we pursue passionate mission out of faithful risk through spiritual intensity, well then the things that are rubble in life are made new. 
my prayer is that you're willing to do that. We as a church, we're committed to living that way in all that we do. In fact, if heritage is your home, your church home and your church family, I wanna make sure something's on your radar. And I'm gonna invite you to be joining me on January 28th for Scoop. This is an opportunity for us to talk about what was, what is, and what is to come. To talk about how we've seen God's favor in 2017, but also how we've seen opposition and obstacles in that same journey as we pursued God-honoring investments. We wanna be a people who continue to seek the peace and prosperity of our cities, reaching those who are far from God while still taking care of those who are in our family. And we need to do a better job in this arena. We've got some specific plans and pathway to do that. So I wanna make sure that you are part of that conversation and join me on the 28th right here at the Rock Island campus, six o'clock, as we lean into what was and is and is to come as a church family because we want to be a people who see God do the impossible. We wanna see him build things that are new out of rubble in both personal and corporate realities. And we're committed to doing that. And I hope that you personally will step into that. It, it, whether it's big or small, public or private. You know, again, here's one of the fascinating things that for the book of Nehemiah for me. There is not a single miraculous thing recorded in this as far as something that is overtly miraculous. It, it's, it's a story of God responding to the prayers of his people out of spiritual intensity, in faithful risk, and in passionate mission. Working and moving to see something change and something different. That's my heart beat and, and my desire for us as a church family. So as we step now to a moment to worship through song, I wanna invite you to continue to reflect on the reality of where God might be wanting to build something new out of the rubble of your life. Wherever that is, be willing to pursue his purpose and his power out of a passionate mission. Willing to make faithful risk from a spiritual intensity where we submit, surrendered to him and yielded to him fully. Whenever we do that, he does what we was once thought impossible for his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that even in a world where we do bump into lots of rubble in life, that you are the God who brings beauty from ashes. You are the redeemer of the rubble. When we allow you to work and move in that space, you give us new purpose, you give us new identity, and that purpose and identity allow us to persevere in the pursuit of your plan in the face of opposition. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are processing where you might want to build something new out of their existing rubble, a future reality out of present rubble. God, may you speak, may you whisper affirmation and love and care, may you, may you embolden them with courage and discipline to chase that next. Maybe for some, Lord, it's a new identity you wanna give through your son, Jesus. And if someone here today is not in relationship with you and you're asking them to step into that through Jesus, I pray that you would move in their hearts and they would step boldly into it and experience new identity and new purpose. And then together, Lord, may we chase the passionate mission you call us to. May we be willing to position our position below your purpose. And may we hold to the identity and purpose you've given us in whatever we face. For your glory, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.